You're listening to theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Some people love climbing to the top of mountains and bagging those peaks, while others prefer the long-distance footpaths that snake between them. But there's an increasing band of people who are fascinated by islands. Indeed, there's even a name for this, Islamania. Intrigued, I sought out Cicero's expert on islands, Paddy Dillon, to find out just what Islamania was all about. I think it's been described as an affliction of the spirit. Um, it seems to affect people in a peculiar way. Um, these people, like myself, if they find themselves on an island, um, they couldn't be happier. Um, from my own point of view, exploring islands is actually something I enjoy doing a lot because unlike, say, a mountain range or an entire country or a continent, with an island you know when you're finished. Um, if you walk round the coast and walk over all the little hills and seek out all the little hidden places, um, it's very, very clear on a small island at any rate that um, you end up back looking at your own footprints, a bit like Robinson Crusoe going round his own island. Um, you know when you finish with an island, and what I really love more than islands are archipelagos, the idea that once I'm finished with one island, there's another one just next door, and all I need is a handy ferry, and I'm over there, start all over again. And that can keep me happy for weeks on end. Um, and I guess that uh, w one of the interesting things about islands is it's pretty easy to get to the point where you feel you've, you know it pretty intimately within a pretty short time. That's right, yeah, certainly with a small island. Um, some very small islands, if they're only a mile by half a mile, um, you feel that you know them within a couple of hours. Um, other ones might take weeks. Um, and then, of course, if they get bigger and bigger, you could be there for a month or more. Now, when we talk about islands, um, we're talking about islands all over the place. And you, your books, are some of them are dedicated to Mediterranean islands. Others of them, like the Irish series, have got a lot of islands featured in them but i mean you've traveled on islands all over the world haven't you um well certainly around western europe anyway i've i've made my way from uh, shetland orkney western islands um all the way down through ireland the isle of man right down all the islands on both the english and the irish coast channel islands um madeira canaries out in the atlantic balearic islands corsica malta gozo in the Mediterranean. I just love going from one to the other and there's certainly no shortage of them around the world. And um, although different groups of islands in different places will obviously have different characteristics, there's there's presumably quite a commonality about crime. And I'm always fascinated by signs of ancient civilization and even civilizations that have died over the last two or three hundred years ago. Yeah, I think one of the most fascinating islands I visited in that respect is Malta, which has the largest freestanding and oldest freestanding um, stone structures in the world. Um, the temple, certainly at Gigantia on Gozo, is absolutely immense. Um, and there are all sorts of rock tombs, you know. I think there's something about an island that must have appealed to, um, you know, sort of people in ancient times. I suppose 
when it came to the crunch, an island is more easily defended than a site on the mainland, say. Um, so you often find with places like Malta Gozo, um, places like the Isles of Scilly, um, some of the islands off the coast of Scotland and, and Ireland, that there are some very, very ancient structures there, stone forts, temples, all sorts of ritual monuments. And um, the other thing would be, I suppose that's helped preserve those places, is the fact that wave upon wave of people have moved through Europe conquering each other and um, obliterating all traces of earlier settlements. It's not so much the case with an island. You've got to be fairly dedicated to live on an island and, you know, most of the time it's scratching a subsistence living on an island. Um, so ancient structures tend to survive a lot better on an island than they would have done on the mainland. There's some fascinating connections, aren't there, between, for example, I mean, you look at the islands you talked about there, you'd think you could break them up into clusters, the Mediterranean civilizations, the Celtic islands, but of course there are traces of the Celts all over the Mediterranean as well, aren't there? There are, yes. I mean, the, the Celts started off somewhere in Central Europe and just spread out everywhere. And um, I think one of the things that marked the Celts as a race, they were very proud and upright people, very fond of telling each other stories of daring do. Um, still are. But they still are, yes. But they were also afflicted, if you like, with... Um, well, what you might call internecine warfare, you know, family against family, basically, tribe against tribe. So they were conquering each other as much as they were making the mark on other people they were replacing. And in turn, that, I suppose, was their downfall, because by the time the Romans were pushing through Europe, the Celts were easily divided and conquered. I mean, they put up a stiff fight, but they couldn't resist taking sides. <laughs> and that was their downfall, if you like. Now, you mentioned Malta, and I guess most people think of that as a very traditional kind of beach holiday destination. Um, but you've walked in many of the islands in the Mediterranean, again, places like Mallorca, that we think of in that vein. But yet they, they all seem to offer great walking if you just made the effort to get off the beaten track. That's right. If you look at, say, Malta, which for, for decades, because of the British influence there, has been a Mediterranean sunshine destination, the sun shines more in Malta than it does on most places um, scattered around the Mediterranean um, and you can rely on it being a good winter destination too um, but it is also horrendously built up it's one of the most densely populated microstates in the entire world um, so finding places to walk finding little strips of greenery that you can make your way through um, finding your way to the cliff coast and back again is actually quite a trial, you know. I, I was surprised at how difficult it was to find the routes. And then you look at somewhere like Mallorca, where people traditionally, traditionally for the Brits, I suppose, go to somewhere like Magaluf, which is so cut off from decent walking that I, I wonder why anyone would go there at all. But if you make the effort in Mallorca, if you say, I'm not going to stay in a resort, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to go around banging on doors saying, have you a room for the night, the amount of really wild remote countryside you can access is, is incredible um, just by staying in tiny villages, little hostiles, monasteries even, stay in a monastic cell for the night. Um, some of the, the hilltops there have even got ancient monasteries on top that do accommodation. Um, so it becomes an incredibly interesting place once you decide you're not going to take a package, you're not going to stay in a resort, you're actually going to go out and do your own thing. Um, it's surprising just how much you can do there. We're all aware, I think, of the 
the tourist villages that you know develop uh, in these islands and you know um, sell their packages of lace or whatever to visitors but get off the beaten track and you really are able to connect with you can see a way of life quite easily that hasn't changed for a long time or explore those monasteries that have been there for hundreds of years and that historical connection is fascinating. It is, yes, and and it still surprises me, and I'm never at the ready when this happens. I'll be there with my camera at my side, and I'll turn round a corner, and somebody will come the other way with a donkey laden with big bags of onions or something, and I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to take the picture. And by the time I've grappled for my camera, the guy has gone. Um, but I love those moments of actually meeting a local person doing things that have been done for centuries, which is basically cultivating some tiny plot in the mountains, uprooting all these veg and picking all these fruit, packing them up and putting them on little donkey panniers and taking them down to the market. I just love that. Um, but like I say, when it comes to the picture opportunity, I'm just not on the ball. You pass these guys in an instant and, and they're gone. Um, but I really do like going round the farms and actually looking, seeing what people are doing, you know, meeting the shepherds and the goat herds up in the mountains and just sit for five minutes and watch them and if, if the language permits it, uh, actually have a chat with them too. And it's a way of life that, you know, the, those goat herds taking their flocks up to the high ground in the summer, it's a way of life that's been going on for hundreds of years. That's right. I, I think that's the sad thing, say, about Britain is, you know, once we started enclosing land and going for intensive cultivation, we lost people like shepherds and goat herds and swine herds and every other type of herdsman. Um, you put your animals in a field, you shut the gate, and basically they look after themselves. But to actually be in an area where there are no enclosures, where you have to keep an eye on your animals day and night um, and make sure they don't get into trouble on steep cliffs and you know forever keeping them on the move, looking for good grazing, it's an art form to actually watch, you know, to, to actually appreciate the the skill that goes into this and the knowledge that these people must have of their mountains to be able not only to look after themselves but to look after a hundred sheep or goats at the same time so lots and lots to look at in the mediterranean itself if we go just a little bit further west i mean you've done two books on the canary islands that's right i mean it takes a bit of imagination really to think that you you there's enough variety there to fill two books so there there are other destinations that obviously have a lot more to offer than most of us would imagine that's right um the canary islands there are actually seven major islands there and a host of smaller ones um i'd be quite happy to do seven guidebooks on the canaries it, it would warrant that um the big islands of tenerife gran canaria people have heard of those they haven't heard quite so much about the opportunities to go walking in places like Fuerteventura or Lanzarote, um, which again would be seen as fairly traditional beach holiday type destinations, winter sunshine destinations. And few people are aware of the tremendous opportunities to go walking in the three smallest westernmost islands of El Hierro, La Palma and La Gomera, which are so remarkably different. Um, you know, say on El Hierro, you're looking at a truly volcanic landscape. I think they have 400 recognisable volcanic cones on there, which that's the smallest of the Canaries. It's got more volcanic cones than nearly all the Canaries put together. Um, La Gomera doesn't have any identifiable volcanic cones, but it is covered in a luxurious, um, what, what they call cloud forest, um, a forest which is capable of sucking moisture 
out of the clouds and letting it dribble onto the ground. So instead of having, say, reservoirs to catch water, they have a forest to catch the water. Once the water's in the ground, they can pipe it off. Um, and it's a wonderful thing to actually watch in progress, to be up there on a damp, claggy day and see the water just pouring down from the leaves of the trees. The trees are actually designed, if you like, to, to catch water. And um, uh, you know, people have sort of realised that and preserved that forest as a national park. Then you go to La Palma, which has the reputation of being one of the steepest islands on the entire planet when you take the area versus the height of the island. Um, it really is phenomenally steep. And to do any walk there, you're going to have to put in some uphill distance and, you know, really put your back into it. Um, but, you know, just to go from one island to the other, that's what I enjoy most about places like that. Most people who head for the Canaries will fly to one island and will actually stay there for the duration of their trip. Um, I actually prefer to go from one to the other. And it's almost as if somebody's spotted the opportunity. There is a long distance path being developed over there known as the GR131, which so far crosses the three smallest islands, but will eventually cross all seven of the islands and probably will end up something in the region of a thousand miles long. And it's quite easy to connect up between the smaller islands. Yes, there are flights and ferries between the three smaller islands and Tenerife. And then, of course, Tenerife has ferries and flights to Gran Canaria and onwards to Fuerteventura, Lanzarote. So it is actually quite easy to say, OK, I'm leaving this island, I'm going to the next one. It's always quite easy to do. Now, before we start heading north, um, the Mediterranean islands seem fascinating, but they also do seem rather hot in the summer. Um, what's the best time of the year, Paddy, to be walking on some of these islands? I think the middle of winter. Um, if you think, you know, you've had enough of winter weather by the time October, November, December are rolling by and you want a change, you can almost guarantee you'll pick up some sunshine somewhere in the Mediterranean on an island or somewhere in the Canaries. Um, their, their winters are quite acceptable to us. Their summers, to my mind, are just unbearably hot. So I would never, ever, ever recommend going walking on a Mediterranean island or in the Canaries in the summer is a winter destination if you're walking because walking you're going to get hot anyway you're going to get sweaty there's no point really rubbing your face in it and going there when it's summer and when it's too hot for those sorts of things once the temperature hits 35 40 and 45 degrees it's just there's just no point walking okay so one of the attractions is it's walking all the year round and these days i guess with the cut price airlines even off season they're reasonably easy to get to they are um most british airports have direct flights to mediterranean destinations and possibly to some of the uh, uh airports in the canary islands so it, it is very easy to get to very cheap as well um but what i would always say to people is don't for heaven's sake buy a package because you'll be plonked in some concrete resort um, along with all the other people who are only there for the the beach, the drinks and the wild nightlife, you must just get the flight only deal and then get out into the mountains and up the hills yourself um, and literally just bang on doors and say, do you have a room for the night? It's that simple and people just don't realise it. You know, the, the, there is a, sort of a, a low level of accommodation, if you like, in, in almost every little town and village you can name. There's always somebody doing rooms, somebody has a small hotel, and it's quite possible to turn up and literally 
unannounced, knock on the door and you'll have your room for the night. And if they can't accommodate you, they'll pass you on to their neighbour who can. Sounds idyllic. Now, looking north, um, back towards Britain and Ireland, I mean, you've obviously written very extensively about Ireland and some of those uh, archipelagos and islands around, particularly the west coast of Ireland and the southwest, are, are extraordinary in their character, aren't they? They are. The islands are much smaller there. I, I think almost every island off the coast of every island off the coast of Ireland can be uh, walked around in a day, with the exception of one or two of them, which are rather bigger. Akil Island is would take you the best part of a week. Um, but most of the others, a couple of hours here and there will do to, to take in the, the salient features of the island. Um, some of them are uninhabited, so you need to find the ferry times. You need to make absolutely sure that the guy who takes you out is going to be there to bring you back as well. Um, others, they have accommodation and you can stay there maybe you know for a couple of days get to know the place really well some are incredibly busy such as um the aran islands um, which i've always described as like rafts of limestone out in the atlantic covered with ancient hill forts um but others they, ha they seem to have very little going for them apart from scenery um you know there'll be a few people living there scraping out a living with a few sheep or maybe in the fishing industry um and all that they really have going for them for tourists is great scenery a fantastic sort of western headland type scenery but if you dig just a little bit i mean there are some fantastic stories i mean even the islands that are uninhabited i mean some of the famous ones like the blaskets or whatever quite you know quite significant civilizations in a sense at one point or another that are fascinating to learn about that's right um i think the amazing thing about the blaskets is that just at the time when it was becoming untenable as a place to actually live and work um, that's the same time that people local people actually started writing down their memories of the place and so the last generation of people who lived there actually put pen to paper and they created some wonderful books just about their simple island life which people have found fascinating read to this day um, Maurice O'Sullivan with his 20 years of growing or Peg Sayers um, Thomas O'Crohan, they, they all wrote down what they could remember of the island before passing away themselves and before, you know, literally everybody left the island. So it was a wonderful little sort of, you know, documentary tales, if you like. It's still going on today, isn't it? One of the, one of the delights of my literary discoveries for me in 2007 was um, a book called Connemara by a, a Yorkshireman who's been living there for 20 years called Tim Robinson, who's documented the life of a lot of those islands in the most fascinating way and he de dedicates his life to in a sense telling that story and also to, to mapping places as well yeah yeah he's been around um you know the whole of connemara and most of the islands offshore as well particularly the aran islands some of his map work is incredibly detailed and he would have put things on those maps that are actually missing from every other map you could hope to buy um but yeah just talking to people finding out the stories that's what he's been good at and um and you know for the benefit of us all he's actually written it down for us too yeah well certainly there's no doubt in my mind that um the islands of ireland are, are fascinating destinations now what about closer to 
to home, England, Scotland, Wales. Well, if, if the Mediterranean or the Canaries aren't for you, I'd say go to the Isles of Scilly, which I've described as subtropical. Um, I think they get more sunshine hours than the rest of us, so that's saying something. Um, you really do feel as if you've gone somewhere special in the space of, say, a three-hour ferry journey or a half-hour flight from Penzance. Um, all of a sudden, you're on golden beaches with fringes of palm trees and exotic flowers growing out of the dunes like agapanthus and uh, you think to yourself where on earth am i and this beautiful clear atlantic ocean there you know, because the the land be the, the sort of uh, sea floor between the islands is actually very very shallow and uh, just taking a ferry from one island to the other you can often look over the side and actually see the seabed um, but the whole of the Isles of Scilly are surrounded by what you might call dragon's teeth of, of rocks. Um, some rocks barely stick above the, the sea, uh, sea level, others are just below sea level, and they've ripped many a keel off some of Britain's finest naval fleets. Um, I think since Viking times they've had shipwrecks there that have cost hundreds of lives, um, but uh, even into modern times, you know, the living memory will not pass before another shipwreck takes place on around those shores um incredibly dangerous little patch of sea for passing vessels but for anyone who likes to keep their feet on dry land i can't think of a more fascinating little group of islands off the english coast they are wonderful very easily accessible easy to get from one to the other it's just a case of turning up at 10 o'clock at the pier st mary's every morning and then going out to whichever island you want for the day and then coming back about four o'clock in the afternoon which is ample time to look round each island in turn and of course we've got such wonderful diversity here we can go from the almost you know subtropical conditions of the cities up to the islands of off the west coast of scotland and there you're talking about a different kind of drama. Completely. If you're looking at, um, say, a popular island such as the Isle of Arran, which is often described as Scotland in miniature, it really is like a, a condensed version of what you'll get in Scotland. It has its highlands and its lowlands. Um, the, the way people are there, the things they do, it's all very, very Scottish, and yet it's such a wonderful holiday destination, especially for Glaswegians. I think they... Uh, population of the island doubles and trebles during the season and so many people come visiting but then as you move around the coast and get to really really rugged islands such as the Isle of Skye um, you really are looking at seriously steep and very rough mountains and you're going to have just to do simple walks you're going to have to get to grips with the rock you're going to have to use ropes you're going to have to have some basic climbing skills just to get up the easiest peaks um, and then moving all the way around the Western Islands up into Orkney and Shetland, there is such variety there. Um, you could spend half a lifetime exploring the Scottish Islands and barely begin to explore them properly at all. And what about England? I mean, we tend, other than the cities, we tend not to think about England as an island destination, but there are loads of them, aren't there? There are. There are places like the Isle of Wight, um, the places like um, say all those little islands around the Thames estuary. Now, some of them might just be full of oil refineries, but others of them simply are like reclaimed marshland with a sea wall around them. Um, very easy to get to, very easy to walk around. Um, but as you work your way up the coast on either side, there are all sorts of lovely little places. There's a tiny, tiny little archipelago off the Cumbria coast that hardly anyone 
really makes the effort to visit. People who live in, in say, the Furness area know the islands very well, but people don't come out of the Lake District to visit them. But places like Walney Island, Peel Island, Fulney Island, Roe Island, hardly anyone goes there that doesn't live within 10, 20 miles of the place. Um, on the other side of uh, England, if you're going up the coast of Northumberland, you have the Farne Islands and Lindisfarne, which are very popular, and people do go well out of their way to visit those places. Um, so, you know, we have the islands, but once you've been to somewhere like the Isle of Wight, everything is very, very small after that. So the English islands are very, very small. Now, I know there are people who collect islands in the way that other people collect Munroes, Munro baggers. How, do you know how many islands you've visited, Paddy? I have no idea. I would probably make a guess around the 100 mark, but I think, I'm almost sure I've read somewhere that there are about 4,000 little islands and even lumps of rocks sticking out all around the coast of the British Isles. So, um, you know, <laughs> there's a lot to go at there. Um, I think very few people make the effort to visit all of those, um, but some people surely must be out there taking them off. Well, there you go. And if you'd like to join Paddy in bagging those islands, you can find out more by visiting www.cicerone.co.uk there you'll find a complete listing of Paddy's books, many of which include some wonderful island destinations, from the warm, classical islands of the Mediterranean to the cool, mystic Celtic islands off the Irish coast. This sponsored programme is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk.